Man, thank you so much for being here tonight. This is uh, such a great, great turnout. And so we're just so, so grateful for your presence here this evening. And if you want to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 1, uh, Keegan did a fantastic job of reading that scripture and uh, really a much better job than I could have done. And so I uh, really want to encourage you to take your phone, your tablet, or some kind of device or a book and turn to John chapter 1. You know, this past Sunday, I was at uh, my mom. My mom's in a nursery home here in town and three of mom's relatives had asked if they could call and FaceTime her and I, you know, it was a really busy Sunday and I said sure yeah I can do that and so uh, mom can't really use a phone on her own so you know if she's going to talk to somebody on the phone I got to go up there and kind of facilitate that and and Michael has this really cool uh, little tripod for an iPhone I thought this would be really great I'll put mom on uh, I'll put my phone on the iPod and mom could just sit there they're just talking to the phone, and, and, and I'll put my phone on the tripod, sorry, and mom can just talk on the phone to her family. And so we get to the nursing home, and I found a little corner of the lobby over there, and I got the phone set up. We made the first couple of phone calls, and it went great, and mom was having a great time talking to her family. Then we had to talk to her brother in North Carolina, and I got him on the phone, and about the time I got him and mom FaceTiming and talking, the, the, the little lobby had been so quiet, about that time a bunch of people start streaming in and uh, it's a church group that's come uh, to bring gifts to the residents of the nursing home and you know mom starts getting a little bit distracted you know she's kind of looking off there and I was like mom focus focus stay here right all right I, I've, I've gone through a lot of trouble to get you this phone call going and I want you to focus you know and I didn't say it quite like that but that's what I was thinking and then you know then they bring out a bunch of presents and all the residents from the nursing home start coming out and coming out to get their presence that this church group has brought. And, uh, I, you know, do you ever just kind of realize just how sick and depraved you really are? I started getting irritated that they brought presents to the nursing home residents. And uh, then at that point, uh, you know, things are kind of getting out of hand. Mom's really having trouble paying attention because mom wants a present, right? And then uh, they start singing Silent Night right there while mom's trying to have this phone call that I've gone to all this trouble to set up and everything. And I just remember I thought to myself, man, can I just get a silent afternoon? That's all I want. I don't want a silent night. I just want a silent afternoon. And then I just realized, man, you know what is happening? I, I, I caught myself thinking, you know, these people have brought grace into this nursing home today. You know, they don't know these people. Uh, these people have never done anything for them and never will be able to. And they've come up here and they've brought the presence of Christ here into this really kind of sad and lonely place. You know, there's so many people in that, in that nursing home. I've been there many, many times. There are many people I've never seen have a visitor. And here they are visiting and bringing gifts. And I want you to think about this. Scenes like this are repeated millions of times every year, all around the world, every day. Why? Why is there so much grace that we see in the world? Because we know Christ is present in the world, and it's because of Christmas that Christ is present in the world. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, the Bible says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty might become rich. And you know, I, 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 just, I see that, and I, and I just kind of marvel at that, and I think about that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was rich, but for my sake, he became poor so that I could become rich. We have this great song we sing at the holidays, O Holy Night, 
And look at these lyrics. They're up on the screen for you. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Christ is the Lord. Then ever, ever praise we. All right, that's the title today, by the way. You don't really have a formal title, but it is A Thrill of Hope. A weary world rejoices. And why? Because a new day is dawning. And why is that happening? Because Christ is the Lord. Christmas celebrates the staggering reality of this thing called the incarnation, that God was made flesh. Jesus is God made man. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, conceived in a mother's womb. As was read to you a moment ago, John chapter 1, 14, the Word became flesh. No tale ever told, even in the wizarding world of Harry Potter or Star Wars or J.R. Tolkien, none of that compares to this fantastic truth of the incarnation. And it's always been a flashpoint for the life of Jesus. Even when he was alive, John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus had an encounter with some of the Jewish leaders and it says, the Jews took up stones to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from my father. I've, I've been healing, I've been feeding, I've been driving out demons, I've been doing so many incredible things. He said, for which of those works are you gonna stone me? And the Jews said, we are not stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, claim to be God. You know, the Apostle John was probably about 18 to 20 years old when he was told by Jesus to drop his nets and begin following him. And he did so for many, many years. Around 90 A.D., he wrote an account of the life of Jesus when he was in his late 70s. He knew he didn't have long left in his lifetime. And he wanted to second set the record straight about Jesus. He didn't, want, he didn't want there to be a case of Jesus being misunderstood or having a mistaken identity. Because already, even after only 50 or 60 years after his, after his uh, uh, resurrection, there were groups out there saying that you know Jesus was a prophet, but he wasn't God. Uh, Jesus was maybe God's first and best creation. His highest angelic being, but, but not God. And there's another group out there called the Gnostics, and they were saying, you know, Jesus is sort of like an, an emanation from God, but he's not God himself. And so John wanted to set the record straight. And Keegan read the passage to you for a, mo a moment ago. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. Wow. Greek philosophers, especially Aristotle, really struggle with this question. What is the beginning of all things? And you see that in verse 1, that, word, that word, the word logos there. The Greeks use this word to describe uh, the, the spoken word and the written word like we're having right now. You know, I'm up here speaking. They would say that's a logos. However, in Greek philosophy, it meant more than that. They believed that there was a great mind, that there was a great reason, there was a great rationale, a great wisdom that had 
had put everything into order because they looked at the world around us and they saw this incredible order, this incredible productivity. And they said to themselves, there must be a mind. There must be a, a reason behind it. There's a prime mover out there somewhere. And so the Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, explains exactly what that logos is. The word, the logos it's not some unseen mystical force like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, use the Logos, Luke, or something like that. Not at all. Jesus of Nazareth, the descendant of David, born in a stable in Bethlehem, who used a trough for a crib. He is the Logos. He is God made flesh. And there are seven traits that John talks about that should give us a thrill of hope. Because these are the things that Jesus possesses as the Word. The infinite, the ultimate Word of God. All right, number one is an affinity. He says the Word was with God. We had the staff over for a holiday meal the other day. And I kind of asked everybody to go around the table. And uh, said, what, what's one of your favorite Christmas memories? And everybody started sharing lots of different things. And it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, you know, John Mills was there. You know, he got a Smokey and the Bandit bike, you know, back in the days. You know, I was like, oh, I wish I would have gotten that, you know, that kind of thing. But it was so interesting. Three out of the six people at the table all said basically the same thing. My favorite memory of Christmas is when everybody would come over to the house and we didn't have enough places to sleep. So when we were kids, they would just like spread blankets out on the floor and we would like crowd together in the corner of a room. Or like one of the ladies was saying, we would we'd sleep three or four to a bed. And we did that till I went off to college, you know, that kind of thing. Some of you are facing that tonight. You don't know where you're going to sleep tonight. I understand that, okay? It's going to happen to you. And you're going to hate it now, but a few years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to say, man, I miss that. I miss that so much. Why is it so important to us to be with other people? It's because we are made in the image of God. And the first impulse of God's tremendous epic heart is relationships. Because look at that preposition there, with, the word was with God. This is a preposition in the Greek that means more than just two things being together, like cheese with crackers. It means being in a personal relationship. So when John says the word was with God, that the word was in an active, personal, intimate relationship with God. And so the Logos is a distinct personal being in an active personal relationship. And so John chapter 10 verse 30, this is why Jesus would say things like this, the Father and I are one. That's why he would say those sorts of things. And I want you to think about this. In the infinite depths of God's epic heart, there's a longing. There's a desire for what? Relationship. Relationship. And there's a thrill of hope here because God longs to have a relationship with you and with me. You know, Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. And there is no seeking where there is no longing. And so just to know that today, to have this hope in your heart that God longs for a relationship with you. But then also there's this word deity because he says the word was God. The word was God. You know, one year ago, December 25th of 2021, 
the James Webb telescope was launched. It's 100 times more powerful than the Hubble telescope. And when we saw the images of the Hubble telescope 30 years ago, we were blown away. But now everyone is blown away many, many times more. One picture that we see often is called the, the pillars of creation, or it's called the hand of God. It's just an incredible, incredible picture. And think about this. The incarnation. It staggers the mind. Truly, the one who brought a hundred billion galaxies into existence, cloaking himself in human flesh. That's what we're celebrating here today. And it's unthinkable. But that's what the Bible tells us. You see there in verse 1, it says, The Word was God. Another way to really say that maybe a little bit more accurately is that what God was, the Word was. In Christian theology, we say it this way. He was God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And there's no way to completely understand that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But yet there's only one God. But Jesus said in John 14, 9, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And rather than attempting to fully comprehend the infinite with our finite minds, we'd be better served to do what the wise men did. They had traveled so far to see God incarnate. And Matthew 2.11 says, They saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and gave gifts. When it says they fell down, the word kind of means there, they, they threw themselves to the ground, foreheads on the floor. What manner of God would step out of his glory into humanity, as Michael prayed a moment ago. How great is God that he would do such a thing for you and for me. And it gives our soul a thrill of hope to realize that he is so real and he is so present and he is so with us. And the third thing is the whole concept of eternity. Eternity, Because he said he was with God in the beginning. That's in verse 3. Now it would be fair to say that God made man, God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth, was an annoyance to the Jewish leaders of his day. They kept saying, you need to improve yourself, you need to better yourself. And Jesus was like, no, that's not enough. And one day in total frustration, a group of Pharisees just straight up asked him, who do you think you are? And he said this, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. And so the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. Jesus did not say, Before Abraham was, I was. Because that might imply that at some point he had had a beginning. But he said, Before Abraham was, I am thus communicating that he never had a beginning. And this is the same name that God had used to communicate himself back in the book of Exodus, speaking to Moses from the burning bush. And the people knew exactly what he was saying. And that's why when those words came out of his lips, they were like, look around, I need a rock. You know, we got to stone this guy. I can't believe he just said this. Because he was making himself equal with God. The next one's creativity. Just real briefly. John says, through him all things were made. 
Yeah, I love it when I get a Christmas card or I see somebody has a sign in their yard that says Jesus is the reason for the season. I think that's fantastic. But you know what the Bible says? He's the reason for everything. <laughs> All right. He is the reason for everything. Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, he just couldn't help himself. He said, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the, the one who is first over all creation, and all things were created through him and for him. Creativity. The next thing you got to see here is vitality. Because John says, in him was life. In him was life. I know that there are a lot of people in the room today who are having a really difficult time celebrating Christmas this year. Someone that you love has died in the recent past. And you long more than anything else to have them here with you right now. Uh, celebrating Christmas. And is there anything harder than a holiday soon after you've lost a loved one? There's really no hurt like holiday hurt. There really isn't. There's an empty spot at the table. The conversation among the family just isn't the same as it used to be. Uh, your traditions have to change. You know, I remember when my father died the first Christmas after my dad had died. I, uh, I was there, and we were in Colorado Springs, and Mom said, Hey, Les, will you cut the turkey? And yeah, Dad had always cut the turkey. That was his job. That was the one thing that Dad did to help with the Christmas dinner, right? <laughs> cut the turkey. And I went over there to cut the turkey, and my kids were still pretty small. And I had to turn my back to the rest of the family because I, I didn't want them to see me crying while I was trying to cut the turkey, you know? That was always Dad's thing. But look at verse 4. In him was life. By the way, John uses that word 36 times in his book. It's a major theme of his book. When John was there late, late in life, he wanted to communicate, in him was life. All right? Uh, you know, life abundantly. You know, Jesus had an amazing group of friends in a little town called Bethany. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Lazarus died. He went to Bethany to be with the two sisters, Martha and Mary. And Martha told Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus' reply to her was this, I am resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? He was making a statement about his nature. He does more than give life. He is life. This is why death had no power over him. Death cannot have dominion over anybody who is life itself. And though Lazarus had been dead for four days, Jesus raised him up and he walked out of that grave that day. See, Martha believed that there was a resurrection and she told Jesus there will come a day that he will be resurrected, she thought of it as an event. And Jesus said, no, no, you're not understanding. Resurrection is not an event. It is a person. And it's me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. Christ is your life. And when he appears, you too will appear with him in glory. Should give our soul a thrill of hope today. If there is someone that you have missing this Christmas. If they know Christ as their Savior, they're alive and well. In fact, they're more alive and they are more well than they have ever been before. And there will come a day that if you know Christ as your Savior, that you'll be reunited.
The next one is luminosity. Because he said that life that he's speaking of, it was the light of men. I was, uh, went to a youth camp when I was in high school. It was up in uh, YMCA of the Rockies, where our kids have gone a couple times. And they had to advertise one day. They said, hey, if you want to hike a 14er, we're going to take a hike. And it's about eight miles. And I was all in. I was like, yeah. So a bunch of us kids, there were kids from all over the country who came to this camp. And I said, I'm all in. So we all went. We had two guides. And one guide was really cool. He's one of our small group Bible study leaders. And I still remember him. He looked a little bit like Jesus. He had this long brown beard. You know what we know of Jesus, you know. And he was just a great guy. And we, we went on this hike, and we got to the top of the 14er. It was really tough. And we ended kind of late in the afternoon. We start coming back down, and we uh, come to a, you know, a fork in the trail. And this other guy, they kind of had started, you know, the two guides started having a conversation, like 10 students, two guides. And uh, they started having a conversation. And this other guide says, I want to go this way. I think it's a shortcut. And so we start taking this shortcut. And it's starting to get dark. And we go into this deep, deep, dark forest, like where werewolves hang out, right? Okay, I mean, it's, it's scary. It's getting really scary. We kept going and going and going. And then finally, you know, we were all kind of, the high schoolers, we are all kind of starting to whisper, like, dude, we're lost. You know, and they don't know. And they know it, you know. And it's getting darker. You know, you can hear the werewolves running around in the, in the forest chasing us. And, and we uh, got pretty upset. And I remember there's this, they, they, finally a guy said, hey, y'all, y'all sit down for a minute. We're going to talk. And I'll never forget, there's this girl from Tennessee. She just broke down crying. We're going to die, not die, die. And, and, uh, and so I said, we're not going to die. We're going to be okay. And, and, and I, I said that, but I didn't believe it because now, by now it's dark. And so we kept following the one guy and the longer we followed him, the darker it got, the more afraid we got. Then the other guy, the guy that I really liked, he took charge. He said, guys, we're going to go back we go back the way we came from and the back way we know. He took charge. And after about two or three miles going back, all of a sudden, you could start to see the lights of the YMCA of the Rockies, you know. And you started to have some hope. Like, hey, we're following somebody who knows where he's going. And the farther we, the longer we followed him, the more illuminated, illuminated our path became. And I want you to think about that for a moment. In verse 4, that life was the light of men. You know, the biggest holiday of the Jewish calendar year was the Feast of Tabernacles. Thousands of people would converge upon the Jewish temple. And the, the celebration was a week-long celebration. And it, would, it was initiated with the lighting of these massive, massive oil lamps. Uh, some Jewish uh, historians say they were as much as 60 or 70 feet tall. There were four of them. And they were in the temple courts and had these huge sca the scaffolding going up 70 feet. And young men would go up with these, uh, you know, these big containers of olive oil and they would fill up the tops of these, these, uh, these, uh, these lamps. And then there came the time to initiate the Feast of the Tabernacles and these men would climb up with torches and the wicks were like about as big as a small tree trunk, right? And they would get to the top of these huge, huge towers and they would light the top. And then Jewish historians say that the light from these four massive lamps was so intense that you could see it from a long, long distance and the entire Temple Mount was filled with light. And then all the people would begin to dance and sing and praise as the light was just bathing down in the temple courts. Beautiful, beautiful scene. Why did they do that? 
They did that because it symbolized a great expectation and a hope that they had that a great light, a Messiah, would be born and bring light to the world. Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, i got to tell you, Jesus was at the temple when this ceremony was initiated. And at that moment, when they lit those torches, Bible scholars tell us that is when Jesus cried out to the crowd that was assembled there, I am the light of the world. Can you just imagine those massive lamps bursting into flame and Jesus saying, I am the light of the world and the one who follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. You know, life's most pivotal choice is who are you going to follow? Who will you follow? Well, there are a lot of so-called spiritual leaders out there. And they're like that first guide that I had on that hiking trip. The longer you follow them, the darker it gets. And the more fearful and the more anxious you become. But there is the Lord Jesus. A thrill of hope. A great light has dawned. Jesus is the sum of all spiritual things. He is the way. And with Jesus, like my second guide on that hike, the longer you follow him, the more illuminated your life becomes. And the last one today, ladies and gentlemen, is poverty. Poverty. You know, we Americans send over one billion Christmas cards every year. Did you know that? Pretty amazing. I love getting them. And I've gotten a lot from y'all. Thank you for that. I think my favorites are the Christmas cards from the families with the picture, you know, the photo. Man, a lot of y'all, y'all look great, man. Your kids look fantastic and everybody's hair is combed perfectly. Beautiful clothes, matching clothes a lot of times. We staged our Christmas picture back this last summer. You know, we did that too. But here's my Christmas card challenge. All right. Create an authentic Christmas card. One day, one year, especially those parents who have little kids, all right? Find someone who has a barn about 15 miles out of town, okay? Everyone puts on ordinary clothes like jeans and a t-shirt, you know, shorts and a t-shirt, something like that, and then walk 15 miles to the barn, okay? Arrive when it's dark. Everyone is sweaty and dirty and smelly, hungry, angry, and frustrated. Throw some hay on the dirt, okay? Have all, everybody sit on the hay and say, okay, kids, smile. Let's take a picture, all right? I want y'all to do that one year for me. Because look at verse 10. It says, he, the Logos, was in the world. John doesn't say he came to the world. He was in the world. The maker of all things shrank himself down to a single cell. In enlarging cell by cell in the womb of a teenage girl. And the grand entrance of God the Son was an animal shelter. The royal crib, a feeding trough. And the witnesses of this event that shook the cosmos. Shepherds watching their sheep in the fields at night. Philippians 2, 
Paul said this, For he who had always been God by nature did not cling to his prerogatives as God's equal, but stripped himself of all privilege by consenting to be born as a mortal man. And having become man, he humbled himself, living a life of utter obedience, even to the point of dying a death on a cross, dying the death of a common criminal. Where we're confronted with the poverty of Jesus' birth, how should that change us? You know, life in this world can be gritty and harsh and cruel sometimes, and it's always very, very hard, just like it was for Jesus. And we cannot measure how much we matter to God by the circumstances of our lives. It's too unreliable. There's a professor, a scientist back when I was in high school and college, he's very famous, named Carl Sagan. He's a mentor to Neil deGrasse Tyson. But Carl Sagan said this years ago. He said, who are we? We find that we live on an insignificant planet of a humdrum, humdrum star and a lost lost in a galaxy, tucked away in some forgotten corner of a universe in which there are far more galaxies than people. That's the kind of guy I want to hang out with. I mean, he sounds like a lot of fun, you know. There's only one measure to try to understand how much you matter. And that's 20 inches. Do you know what 20 inches is? It's the average length of a newborn child. The average length of a newborn child. Philip Yancey is an author I love to read. He said this, God, who knows no boundaries, took on the confines of a baby's skin and the ominous restraints of mortality. And never again need we wonder whether what happens on this dirty little planet matters to the rest of the universe. Amen. A thrill of hope. Why? Your life matters. Your life matters more than you will ever know. If God was willing to leave the glories of heaven and to humble himself to such a point that even shepherds would be welcome in his presence, that means all are welcome. All are welcome. May all come. May all come. A thrill of hope. All are welcome. Your life matters more than you'll ever know. Your life matters to God more than you'll ever understand. And so I want to pray for us and we're going to move into our time of candlelight. Father, we just come before you tonight. We worship you. Even as the Magi worshiped you, Father, you are beyond all of our comprehension. Lord, your condescension is beyond our comprehension. And so, Father, we come before you tonight and we just want to say from the depths of our heart, Lord, we worship you and we are in awe of you tonight. And I just pray, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit that somehow we might just be able to have, by your grace, some greater measure of appreciation and comprehension for all that you've done. We love you, Jesus. We thank you so much for all you've done for us. Amen. Amen.